Hi, I'm Margaret Chavis. And I'm Brian Chavis. And we've been at the Heist about eight years now. Our um, involvement in the Love 804 and the Bless Every Home has been in our neighborhood. And we had an event to clean our neighbor's yard and uh, do some things around for her. We also are involved in the whole neighborhood. At Christmas, take Christmas uh, boxes of cookies around. We send notes around and let everybody know that we're praying for them. Now, Brian is cutting our neighbor's grass for her each week, which um, she needs some help with that. Our class, Friends in Faith, has been to help us do some of those things at, at her house, but also we've helped uh, a couple other families as well. And right now we have someone in the, who just gotten out of the hospital, so we're taking turns taking food to them and cleaning up her yard. In our neighborhood, we have seen a calming spirit as we pray for them and they'll wave at us and we'll wave at them and it's just been a feeling of awe is, is really what we're looking at because we know that the Holy Spirit is working with them and we're praying that we might be used and maybe all of them would come to know the Lord because of this time of prayer that we have for each one of them. To us, I think that we have had a better relationship with the Lord in that we are spending time together praying for the neighborhood. And now we get out more and see them more rather than driving into the garage and staying in forever. We go out and we are with our neighbors in the neighborhood. Isn't that a great story? And man, those two superstars are sitting right down here with us this morning. We're glad to have them here. And, uh, and, and you probably watch the thing, boy, that, that Brian guy doesn't say very much. That's the most I've heard him speak in three months. So uh, that's, about how they, that's about how they roll. Man, I'm loving these stories. You know, that's our, our second week in a row, and you're going to hear about ten more of these because there's just that many of you that are being the church, not just when we're gathered, but out there on your street, being, being the church where you live. And that's how we're going to impact our community. That's how we're going to be that church that the 804 cannot imagine being without. It's really exciting seeing all the things that are... are going on. Man, we've had a wonderful morning already, haven't we? Man, as Dale said, we're going to see baptisms today, sharing in the Lord's Supper. I know you're doing the same out there at our Midlothian campus as you join us now. And oh, by the way, ignore me just for a second. I got to do some housekeeping here. Uh, Since we just finished the Lord's Supper, if those of you on the let, what would be the the left end of each side, if you'll look down, there's a little basket, I think. Some of you have already done it. And just pass that down, and you collect the cups uh, that you use to take the Lord's Supper. So if you would, would do that. But, man, it's been a great morning here at the Heights. And now we gather around looking together at God's Word. Hey, do you remember, and before I even finish that sentence, probably over half of you don't. Uh, do you remember when there was like only six channels on the TV? It was a barbaric time. We lived like animals, really. It was just horrible. Six channels. Who needs a remote control? There's only... How long does it take to get up and go turn to six channels? And you know everything that's on. There there was what? ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS. Those were VHF. 
I don't know what a VHF is, but I knew that was a VHF. And then the good stuff was on UHF. And in Houston, when I was growing up, that was, I'll never forget these channels my whole life, Channel 26 and Channel 39. That's where, you know, Pie Pie and Gilligan's Island and Beverly Hillbillies, right? At night, the important movies like King Kong and Godzilla. I mean, the good stuff, the, the good stuff was on only six years. And they didn't even stay on all night. Remember, I don't know what time, I was never up, but I think like, what, one or two o'clock, jets would go right across the screen, and they'd be playing the Star-Spangled Banner, and then just static. I mean, without that static, how would you ever have a poltergeist, right? You know, I mean, this is, this is no TV on for hours at a time. Man, you know, that's only like, what, I don't know, 40 years ago. I guess that's a long time. But when you consider how we do this today, that, that may as well have been 400 years ago. We have hundreds of channels on 24 hours a day, and that's just the baseline. That's the, that's the minimum stuff. That's not even with trying. And, and, you know, and then you add Hulu and Netflix and YouTube, streaming, the Internet. I mean, we have endless opportunities for entertainment. 24 hours a day. We have endless opportunities for getting information 24 hours a day. On demand is our word today. On demand, we have all of that. Now, there's a lot of good things about that, but boy, one thing that means is every idea out there, every crazy idea out there now has a channel. Every crazy idea out there has a website. Now, I don't know that technology's made more ideas. There's always been crazy ideas. There's always been ideas coming through. Of course, what the technology does is now, now those ideas can go a lot further and, and they can go a lot faster. But there was always a, a peddler of ideas coming through town, right? In a, in, in a covered wagon, they'd bring snake oil and medicine and some new little gadget or invention, sometimes significant ideas like maybe a government. But anything they would come into town with was to make your life better, right? And so we listened with a little skepticism because it seems like everybody who has something that's going to make my life better really profits from it. And, and so we, you know, we're not quite sure we trust them when they come through town. But, you know, even if we didn't trust them, they were the entertainment like 150 years ago. You, you'd, you'd go listen to the peddler of ideas because nothing else to do. There wasn't even six channels. And, you know, so you'd go and, and, and you, would, you would listen. Ideas always come and go. Some come and stay, right? Karl Marx had an idea. It stayed. Uh, the Founding Fathers had an idea. It stayed. You know, and in that respect, you could actually think of Jesus as a, well, he was a peddler of ideas. He, he went from town to town, and, and he had an idea. Now, he certainly offered you, me, the, the town, something so much better, this life and in the next life. But he also asked for a lot. As a matter of fact, when you kind of look at some of the things he was asking, it's amazing so many people were intrigued, so many people were interested and, and followed him. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. It says, when he came down the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, that's a, most of us would read that verse and go right on by it because it just doesn't communicate. I mean, that's not going to be a memory verse for any of us, right? But when I read that, I stop and think, well, I wonder what was going on on the mountain, that, that great crowds kept following him down off the mountain. Now, now when it says, 
When it says mountain, okay, don't, don't picture like we're in Colorado, because that's where I'd love to be. Don't picture that we're like up at 9,000 feet, and now we're traveling down to, to 3,000 feet. That's not what it's talking about when it says they're up on the mountain or they're, they're coming down the mountain. These are rolling hills, and they're not little hills. They, they can be very significant hills, hills so big that, that you build a city on them, Jerusalem, is is on a city. Hey, you know what? Could I do kind of just about three sec well, about thirty seconds of an unashamed commercial? Thank you. Y'all are so kind. Uh, so you know, Karen and I have started leading periodically trips to to Israel, and we we've got another one coming up March uh, this coming March twenty twenty, and uh, we're we're we have over seventy people going on it. I mean, it's man, we're going to have a great crowd. But ninety is when we're full. And last time we did this, man, there was probably a dozen people that in the weeks, the month or two leading up to, hey, can we still get on? And 90 is like a hard stop. It's not like we'll get to 90 and then see what we can do. That, that'll be a hard stop. So seeing that the trip is almost full, doing another little push here. Uh, we started this back in spring, but another little push here. So that if you are interested, now would be the time to, to look into that. September 8th. Uh, a couple of Sundays from now, we'll have an informational meeting. If you've already signed up, that meeting's not for you. This is for those who are thinking about it. Uh, so if you're interested in doing something like that, I tell you what, what is fun about that trip, and I see people who are with us the last time, when you read things, all of a sudden you can see it. I mean, spatially, you can, you can put it together. You know what a mount is. You know where Jerusalem is, where Capernaum is. You know how it all kind of fits together. And so as you read these things, it, it just makes a ton more sense. We have, we have a great time. We're, we're looking forward to it. I hope, hope if you're interested, you can do that with us. But anyway, it says when they came off the mountain, that, that, they're just journeying down a hill. And we're going to see in a moment they went on to Capernaum. And, and Capernaum, Capernaum's just like a 15 or 20 minute walk. And so these crowds are following him. Well, why? What, 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 what did he do that all these crowds are following? Well, we only have to go back a few verses uh, to the end of chapter 7. And we can see. Look up here. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Now leave the verse up for a moment, but I want to stop right there. The crowds were astonished at, at his teaching. Don't separate yourself from those crowds. Don't, don't we have a little bit of a, an ability to kind of look back on, on the olden days, especially if we put the word ancient in front of it, and just assume they're just not that smart. You know, they're not as scientific as we are, and that would be true. Probably a little more superstitious than we are, and that's probably true. But you know what? Those two things actually have, can have a very small impact on day to day. They can have a small impact on life. The, the, the crowds are just like you. And they're, they're husbands and wives, they're moms and dads, they're single, they're widowed, they're divorced, they're, they hate their job, they love their job, they're mad about taxes, I can guarantee you that. They're mad about taxes and they're mad about government. You can't read the Gospels without hearing about how mad they are about taxes and how mad they are uh, uh, about government. You know what? They're wondering what they're going to do with this kid. They're so proud of this kid. The same things that get you and I excited, the same things we dream about and hope for, identical. The same things that anger us and frustrate us and scare us, identical. I mean, it's just the old cliche, as much as things change, they stay the same. 
You know, things do change. We don't do a whole lot in covered wagons. And we don't wait for a peddler of ideas to come. No, we do it in cars and we've got the internet. But what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our soul, hasn't changed a bit. So when it says that the crowds were astonished at his teaching, you may not know why, you may not understand, but you should probably anticipate that had you been walking along that hillside that day on the way to Capernaum, you probably would have stopped and listened and you would have been astonished at what he was saying and doing. As, this, as he was teaching them with one having authority, not as their scribes. And when you listen to this guy, it, it wasn't just that you agreed with him. It, it wasn't just that you thought, oh, oh, he's right or, or he's smart. It, it was more than that. As he said those things, you thought it, it's like you knew. He actually has the right to say that. He can back up anything that he's saying and, and doing. And it, and it moved the people. It, it, it really, I mean, they, they followed him. I mean, now again, we're not talking about going from 9,000 down to 3,000 as they're coming off the mount. We're, we're talking about a short walk. He's on his way to Capernaum. Most of them were probably either going back to Capernaum or on the way to Capernaum. So it would be somewhat easy for the crowds to kind of stay with him as he moved off the mount and, and onto Capernaum. But they were following and we might wonder, well, gosh, I wonder what he was talking to him about. Well, uh, we know what he was talking to him about. Matter of fact, do you know that we know specifically what he said on the mountain that day? We call it the Sermon on the Mount. That, that's what led them, these great crowds, to following him, the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Probably takes 10 minutes to read it. Would be the best 10 minutes you spend this week. I really, really encourage you to take 10 minutes this afternoon, first thing tomorrow morning, and read the Sermon on the Mount. Read what those people were were listening to that said, hey, let's follow this guy a little bit and see where he's going. Let's see what this is all about. And, And you'll discover that while he said some things, I mean, when you read it, there'll be some things that'll resonate with your soul. There'll be some things that give you some hope and some excitement. But folks, he's saying some really hard things. He's saying some things that'll scare you. That's the only word I know to use. It'll scare you to know that he said this. And then that's what makes it amazing that great crowds were following him. This isn't just a a feel good. Hey, I think this guy can do something for me. He's saying some hard. You know, it's, it's in the Sermon on the Mount. That Jesus said, hey, blessed are you if you're being persecuted for loving me and for knowing me. For great in heaven will be your reward. Well, I, I guess that's good news. Can I just forego the reward and not be persecuted? I, I just would prefer not to even be persecuted. It, it's, in, it's in that sermon that he said, hey, you know, you've heard, we all know that, that adultery is a sin. You know, you need to understand that sin didn't start when you got in bed. It started in your mind. It started with your lust. What? You you know, it's in that same sermon that that he says something that I would imagine almost every one of us in here knows he said and does, does almost nothing about. Love your enemies. And you should love your enemies. Now, my enemies are special. 
My, my enemies are a little bit different, and, and God knows. He, God was saying that for you, but clearly my enemies are a di- You know, even God hates my enemies. Isn't it interesting how we all know that God said that and how rarely we apply it? And then we come to church and say, you know what, would you pray for me? I just, I just don't know how to deal with this person. That, 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 that this person likes Trump. I don't know what to do with them. I hate Trump. I don't know what to do with him. Oh, my neighbor, that dog keeps coming over. I've asked him. That boss, he's unfair. Everybody knows he's unfair. This isn't just me. Everybody at the office knows what a, what a bad person he is. I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to handle this. Jesus, I, love him. No, right, love my enemies. That's what Christians do. Yeah, but seriously, what am I saying? So- Love them. Do you realize that's the end? Prayer answered. That's the end of Jesus' answer for you. Love your enemies. Go home today and love them. Do the most loving thing you can do. Think the most loving thought you can think. Pray the most loving prayer you can pray. Love your enemies. Yeah, okay, but like seriously, Lord. Or or how about this little gem? Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I can't think of another verse in the Bible that is more ignored by you and me than that one right there. When I want to feel good about myself, tell myself what a great Christian I am, you know what I do? I look at you. (laughs) I'm doing a lot better than you guys are. (laughs) Holy cow, Lord, how mad could you be at me? Look at that, Yahoo! And can't we all together say, now, Lord, you know, we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we're not like all those, those unchurched people. Oh, if only that was the target Jesus set. If, o- if only Jesus had actually said, you know, you're, you're doing all right as long as you're better than them out there that don't go to church. You know, Jesus didn't actually say you could feel one bit good about yourself because you're so much better than they are. The target is not the person next to you. The target is not those out there. The target is God's perfect holiness. The target is to be just like God. How are you this week at being just like God with your mate? How are you this week at being just like God with your enemy? How are you at being just like God with your money? How are you at just being just like God with your conversations and the things, the ideas, the words you left people with? Okay, so now we circle back to last week's message on repentance. You know why we never think we need to repent? Because I'm just comparing myself to you. But when all of a sudden I realize, no, I'm supposed to actually be thinking, acting, moving like God would in this moment... Holy cow, can you remember all you need to repent of this week? These are the things that Jesus was saying. And great crowds followed him. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, honestly, yeah, I, I, sometimes I've, I mean, I just said, you know, we'd probably be like those crowds, but I wonder if I'd be walking along the hillside here and, hey, lust is just like adultery. Oh, these crazy street preachers and just keep moving, right? 
Wouldn't we have the tendency? It's just crazy preaching. Just move along. Nothing happening here. No, great. They were astonished. And I don't like somebody getting up in my face like that. I don't like somebody telling me that just because I stopped an inch short of that sin, the fact is that sin's going on in my heart and life right now. I don't, I don't want to be told that. But when he said it, I knew he was right. And I knew he had the right to say it. Now, believe it or not, <laughs> my message has nothing to do with the Sermon on the Mount today. Actually, what I want to look at is what, what, what happened as he was coming off the mountain. Um, we're not looking at Matthew 5 through 7, but we're looking at Matthew 8. So he's just preached this sermon, a, a message, by the way, uh, that probably is the most studied, the most read, the most discussed, the most debated set of words, a message that anybody in the history of humanity, not, not Christianity, in the history of humanity has ever spoken. The sermon on the Mount. But I want to look at what Jesus does as he comes off the mount. And that's why I took the time to say it's a short distance. So when we open up Matthew chapter 8, when we, we already read verse 1. So when we read verse 2, we're not looking at what happened several hours later. We're not looking at what happened the next day. We're, we're looking, I mean, if, if we were in here, it'd be like Jesus came off the, the pulpit and, and out in the concourse is chapter 8 verse 2. And, and, and verse 5 is going to take place maybe as we're out walking toward the, the parking lot. This is, these are the things that are happening right after he says these things. So let's, let's look at what is happening right after he says that. Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Suddenly, and suddenly means, well, suddenly immediately after he said this, immediately after he finished his sermon, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you're willing, you can, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing. Be healed. And instantly, not he went home and it got better this week, and yay, Lord, thank you for healing. You know, instantly, right then and there, completely healed. Verse 5. Jumping ahead, verse 5. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, again, not a long way away. He's he's just walking along the the Sea of Galilee. It'll refer to it as lake. It's referred to as both. And and, and he's just walking along, and they're moving over toward Capernaum. Again, be easy for crowds to go with them. That's the big city in this area. Probably going there to get fish. And a Roman officer comes up to him. Now, they would look at a Roman officer about the same way you and I would look at a terrorist. They would look at it, I mean, if, if somebody, you know, I'm an officer in ISIS. They hated Rome. And they hated the presence of those soldiers. And those soldiers killed them. Those soldiers abused them. Those soldiers took their stuff. Now, knowing that, then, let's read this. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Jesus said, I will come and heal him. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just loving my enemies. No, seriously, what does that mean? Oh, I think we're seeing it. Is it possible that he's just illustrating in front of him what he, what he just said? But the officer said, man, look at this. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Well, he seems to be quite aware of his spiritual condition, doesn't he? 
I'm not worthy to have you come to my house. Listen, just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go when they go, come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Now, see, that just floats right by you and me. I I doubt he could say anything hardly more offensive than that. Take the person that you hate the most and have Jesus say, now, let me illustrate for you faith right here. And realize that's just the opposite of you and a person that you that's how that they would have been very bothered by, by Jesus saying that. I tell you the truth, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world. Hey, that's good news. That's you and me, right? We're, we're not Israel. We're the, we're the Gentiles. We're the nations, the peoples from east and west. And we're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. If you were here back in January and February, we spent a good bit of time with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know them now, right? And that's good because we're going to eat dinner with them soon. We're going to get to have a big old feast together. But many Israelites, those for whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, if there wasn't any Jew that Jesus hadn't offended with the last statement, he got them now. Everybody. Remember, I just can't help imagine that the disciples are saying, Ah, oh, could you not say that? Man, we finally got a crowd. Look at all the people that are following. This is not how to win friends and influence people. This, this isn't going to work, Jesus. He said it anyway. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home because you believe it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. Jump to verse 23. Now now this, crowds are following. They followed off the mount. They followed into Capernaum. This next story probably is not great crowds because they're in a boat. And it's probably just a boat with him and his Disciples, So much smaller group now witnessing what is about to happen. Then Jesus got into the boat and he started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with wind breaking in the boat, with, with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. You ever felt like God was asleep when your storm was happening? God, are you there? Do you care? Are you awake? What's happening? The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us. We're, we're going to drown. I have to assume it's a bad story. Most of these guys lived on the lake. They, they, they lived, that was their living. These, these are seagoing men. They know what it's like to be out there. And they think they're going to die. So probably a pretty, pretty bad storm. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have, you have so little faith. You know, so often we, we reduce Jesus to being entirely emotionless. You know, he just has kind of this warm, pasty smile on his face and just floats through life. Nothing, you know, never up, never down. He's just kind of Jesus. Jesus loves me, always accepts me just as I am. He is your friend. And he does accept you just as you are. And that's why he doesn't want to leave you there. What he just said here, and when you look into the Greek language, he actually uses some, some harsh words. It's like he stood up. Remember, these are, now these are guys we know are his friends. And he says, you know what, guys, I want to tell you something. Your faith in me, really unimpressive. I just could not be more unmoved and unimpressed with you as a friend right now as at this moment. 
Your, your faith is sad. Jesus will say that to you and me, won't he? I mean, if he said it to them, why would he not say that to you and I? He expects you and I this week to show faith right right smack in the middle of the storm. And so then he gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. We sang that this morning. The wind and waves still know his name. The wind and waves know who created him. The wind and waves know his name. The wind... And waves obey him. Boy, if just we would, huh? The disciples were amazed at this. Oh, and suddenly there was a great calm. They listened. (laughs) The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? That is the question, isn't it? Who is this guy when he says, love your enemies? Who is this guy when he speaks to the wind and the waves? Who who is this? I mean, that's kind of the question of the hour. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Verse 28, when Jesus arrived on the other side of the lake, again, this lake's 13 miles by 7 miles. You're shooting just kind of across corners here. More than likely, there are people there. This may be the next day, but there were people that were there that are with him on the mountain the day before. I don't know if, how big the crowd would still be, but when he came ashore, they're like, oh, man, Jesus, I heard this dude yesterday. Come on, let's go see what he does or what he says. There'd be people there. So he's still following up on, on what he said at the Sermon on the Mount. And so he comes up in the region of the Gadarenes. Two men were possessed by demons, met him. They came out of the tombs, and they were so violent that no one could even go through that area. They began screaming at him, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Boy, the wind and obeys know who we, the wind and waves know who he is. The demons know who he is. Have you come here to torture us before God's appointed time? They seem to know the future. How God's going to unfold that? Verse 30, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding in the distance. So the demons begged, if you cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. All right, go. Jesus commanded them. So the demons went out of the men and entered the pigs. And the whole herd plunged down to the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. And we had a huge barbecue that weekend. You know, we, you go back and read Matthew 5 through 7. You, you, you read these stories and you heard a lot about faith. Hey, you look at this Roman guy's faith. Hey, your faith, not, not so impressed. There's a lot going on. Faith, faith, what is that? It's trusting. It's trusting in who Jesus is. It's, it's trusting in, in what he's saying. And, it, and it's, not, it's not just I believe. It's a belief that leads to action. I don't just believe he's God. I don't just believe he said love his enemies, but now I need to actually go and love my enemies. That's when there's real faith, right? It's faith that leads to action. Now, faith is not such a great word in our culture. In in our culture, faith is almost anti-evidence and anti-science. Faith is what you do when there's no real reason to do something, right? And so we kind of look down on that word faith. Now, that may be how our culture defines the word, but you can't take our definition and put it on top of that word there because that's not what the word meant in their culture. Faith was not something you did in the absence of science. Faith was not something you did in the absence of evidence. Faith is something you did because of the evidence. I consider myself kind of like halfway smart and somewhat scientific. And I have learned that gravity works 100% of the time. You know what I'm talking about? I don't think you have to have like an advanced science degree to see this. You know, gravity, 
That, that's science. That, that, that's a law that works. You could, you, if, if you put 175,000 pounds of steel in the air, where's it going? Down. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even have, I don't know why I said 175,000 pounds. Put one ounce of steel in the air, where's it going? To the ground every, every time. So I would not normally want to be mixed up in that steel, would you? And yet, the reason I did say 175,000 pounds is because that's the weight of a 737-800, your standard commercial airliner. And while, while there is an absolute science that say if it's going up, it's coming down, we, we've added to some science. We've, we've, got, we've discovered some engineering, haven't we? And we actually now can put 175,000 pounds of steel. We can put it up into the air when we want to. We can leave it up there for as long as we want to. And we can actually bring it down in a controlled way. And because of that evidence, I get on a plane. No fear of gravity at all. I have total faith. You want to know how much faith I have in the plane? I don't ever stop to recognize that I'm expressing faith. I don't ever think, I don't even think faith. I just, it works. And so I, I get onto it. Folks, in this day and age, that's their definition of the word faith. It wasn't something you did because there's no real evidence or science to back it up. It, the science and evidence led you to make that decision. You know, Jesus said that the most important command in the Bible is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you hear what was concluded in that? Your mind. God, God wants you to love Him with your brain. He made it. He made you to think. He made you to ask questions. He made us so that we want to discover and explore. We want to tear it down. We want to rebuild it. We want to make it stronger and faster and prettier and further. That's the way our brain works. We're being like God when we do that. So what sense would it make? If the great invitation of you, in your life from Christ, from the Son of God, to have faith in Him, what sense would it make if that's the place where we turn our brain off? There's no place where God wants you to turn your brain off. You love God with your mind. And God is very aware that on the mount that day, He said some hard things. Love your enemies. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It is. It is right that our brain is going to say, who is this guy? Who who gives him the right to say that? So just as Jesus says it, he comes off the mountain and you know what he does? He gives us evidence for what he just said. Who am I? I'm the one who has total control over the human body. I, I have control over nature. I have control over the demonic realm, the spiritual realm, the supernatural realm. Who, who is the one who calls us to follow him with everything we are and have? Who, who is this one who would reorient our values, our priorities, our way of thinking? Who is this one that would change everything about us? Oh, he is the God. He is the God over what is seen and unseen. He is the God over the natural order and the supernatural order. And I know there's probably somebody in here right now, maybe watching online, say, I'm not even sure I believe in the, in the supernatural or the spiritual. Awesome. Good for you. I got good news for you. My God is God over what you can see, and He's God over what you can't see and what you don't believe in. Hey, aren't you glad God's God over what you don't believe? 
I need him to be bigger than me because I'm sure not getting it figured out. He is God, the son of God. And folks, think about these, not just miracles. They're in the physical realm. They're in the spiritual realm. They're with people. They're with demons. They're with nature. Every bit of this so that you will have faith, a faith based on evidence and evidence that leads to obedience. Now, I know I'm building an argument here that suggests we all believe these miracles actually happened, right? And again, I recognize that may not be the case for everybody in here or watching right now. I don't even know if those things happened. Ah, but there's evidence. Eyewitness evidence. You know, we generally don't like to watch lies populate, do we? We don't, we don't like to see lies. Flourish. So if we leave here all today... And about, about 3 o'clock today, you're looking around on Facebook, and there's a picture of me, and I'm levitating three feet off the ground, because we could do that with photography, right? And I said, you know, I just want to say it was just awesome preaching today, and who knew that the Lord was going to have me levitate in the air the entire time I was preaching? And, and, and I've got a picture of it there. And maybe I would come to some of you and say, hey, would you, just, would you like that? And say, boy, that was awesome, Pastor, and just kind of go with me. I know didn't happen but just go with me on this for a little bit we you know i we i may get some people to kind of go along i may pay off some people to go along with that but i just can't help out of the two thousand people that are going to interact with this today that one or more of you are not going to say wait a minute i that didn't happen i i was there that that's that, what are you talking about am i right y'all understand what i'm saying Matthew chapter 8, you know who Matthew is? Matthew's a tax collector. Nobody likes a tax collector. Do you know where Matthew is a tax collector? In Capernaum. The people of Capernaum have no reason to support what Matthew's written. The people of Capernaum have no reason to support the eyewitnesses that he's talking. Listen, if Matthew's writing this and, and these writings are spreading around and people were there. I was on the mountain. He didn't say anything about loving our enemies. No, no I, I, was, I walked with him. I was in the crowd that day. There was no leper there that day. Folks, people are people. They're not going to let that happen. You know, people reject Christ, walk away from Christ, choose not to believe in Christ, fight Christ, you know what you never see, obviously not in the Bible, but even outside of the Bible, you don't see any eyewitness accounts of anybody stepping up and saying, I was there and that didn't happen. People were there. And I I can I, I can say I was drunk, I can say I was crazy, I can say you were drunk or you were crazy, but I can't say it didn't happen. Jesus speaks. And then he gives the evidence for obedience. It's all based on faith. Yes, God calls you today to take a step of faith. Maybe it's to come to him for the very first time and be saved. I don't even know what all's involved in salvation. Take a step of faith. Maybe he's asking you to follow him, trust him, to believe in him in a way that's not so unimpressive like this past week, but will really be quite impressive this week. He's calling you to trust him, to act on that faith. He is the son of of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you that you've never called us to turn our brain off, 
believing in you, trusting in you is, is not synonymous with being ignorant. It's not synonymous with being superstitious. It's not synonymous with believing in fairy tales. When you move and work, you, you give the evidence for us. And Lord, I don't know about everybody here, but I know there's a lot of us in here that we've accumulated a lot of evidence over the course of our lives. And maybe we would stop right now and and we would confess that our lack of faith this past week in that situation, our lack of focus at, at, at all acting like you would act in that situation, really got to be quite unimpressive. I thank you, God, that in you we can find grace and mercy. We can find forgiveness. But Lord, may your love, may your evidence move us to take the step of faith, to move to action, to be, well, to be just like you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.